The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building Resilience. Talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. Difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Tony. You're listening to me live from the Gold Coast, Australia. We've got a jam-packed show today with some interesting and thought-provoking guests sharing some of their wonderful knowledge and experience with us. This is our new two-hour format. So we have two guests. Our first guest for us is Francesca. In a little while, we'll be talking about counselling, therapy, and the types of therapy that might help you. In the second part of the show, we'll be talking to Wendy about her life and about rebuilding her life after a traumatic marriage. Um, you'll have to bear with me today. My voice is a little bit croaky. I've been looking after a sick husband all week and woken up with a sore throat, so I've got plenty of lozenges on hand and a lemon and honey drink to get me through the day. So if you'd like to be interviewed on air by me or you know someone who's written a wonderful book and would like to talk about it on air, just drop me an email, tonylontisauthor at gmail.com. That's T-O-N-I-L-O-N-T-I-S-A-U-T-H-O-R at gmail.com. Um, if you'd like to pop on over to my website and check out my guests in detail, um, you'll see my latest blog and there's also a contact form for you to contact me if you'd like. You can follow me on social media at Tony Lontis, join my Facebook group, Journey to Resilience, or follow the story of my book on my other Facebook page, Resilience the Book. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. So what's grabbing my attention around the world this week? Let's start with the grubbiness of the political scene here in Australia in the lead up to the federal election on the 18th of May. I'm not sure about the rest of the world, but I for one really like, would really like to hear a politician get up and not bag their opponent, point out the good in the opposition, offer a solutions-based commentary and stop with the degradation of each other. It's not helpful politicians. I find that this time around our federal election is, I seriously don't know who I want to vote for anymore. Um, and voting is compulsory in Australia. There's not many of the politicians I see on our federal arena that actually deserve my vote. And these are the leaders and the potential leaders of our country. 
I find that fact alone appalling. This week in Australia, in the wake of the One Nation scandal uh, regarding their attempted collusion with the US uh, National Rifle Association, we find out that one of their other candidates, the one they advertise as the family man, was videoed groping and speaking disrespectfully in a Vegas strip club. These behaviours are not okay in our leaders. The leadership by politicians across the world is terrible at the moment. Um, And mind you, we've heard similar from the US President Donald Trump, arguably the leader of the Western world. So this sort of behaviour is abhorrent. And don't let me get started on men in leadership. But anyway, on to more news. Um, A question from one of our viewers early on, what kind of gun laws do you have over here? Well, Australia was one of the leading countries to have a gun buyback scheme in the wake of our worst mass uh, gun shooting in Tasmania in, I think it was about uh, 1989. So Australia's Prime Minister then uh, called uh, everyone to voluntarily hand in their automatic rifles, which they did, and we have really tough gun licensing laws and not many Australians have access to or have in their home or otherwise guns and that makes Australia incredibly uh, safe to be in um, and a good place to live. Another question early on, is it really bad for people to be real? Um, I think there's a difference between real leadership, uh, which shows respect for everyone else, and leaders who just use bad behaviour as an excuse for being real. And you're right, absolutely right, in respect to only honest people giving up guns um, and leaving criminals with guns. But because we're so anti-gun, I guess you'd say, in Australia, we don't have the gun problems that, say, the US has. We do have stabbings, we do have murder, we do have baddies, but our mass gun shootings, we've had none since that buyback. So that says a lot about the process of people not having guns. Um, this week too on social media, I was disparaged in an anti-vaccination brigade, um, and I'm not going to debate the pros and cons of vaccination, just to say that, um, that would be a whole show in itself. Um, and if I could connect some of the experts around the globe on the subject of vaccination, I would really love to do that. Um, the problem is that at the moment there's a range of falsehoods circulating in social media and diseases like polio and measles which had been previously eradicated in first world countries are now making a comeback and you see pockets of disease returning across the world in african countries we've seen deaths in the thousands from measles in papua new guinea the return of polio and even pockets of smallpox across the world These diseases are not simple childhood diseases from which you recover. 
yes, you can recover, but they bring with them instances of death and deformity. And in my opinion, that's not okay. The giants of social media are responsible for this push in the anti-vaccination brigade, coupled with their conspiracy theorists who peddle stories of misinformation and untruth. It has to stop. Only the research and science-based truth is what we should be listening to. And those who do their research on the internet don't count. You need to do your research via published articles in medical and science-based journals from across the world and learn to read and understand qualitative research with an open mind, not one clouded by a preconceived notion of what you want to hear. In further news this week, there's a massive cyclone headed towards India. Tropical cyclone Fanon is a Category 4, with winds up to 260 kilometres an hour. The cyclone is churning up the seas in the Bay of Bengal and headed straight for the city of Puri. 1.2 million people have been evacuated so far, with with further millions of people in the path of this monstrous cyclone. Our thoughts are with the people of India. The U.S. uh, Attorney General has spent five hours in front of a congressional committee explaining his handling of the Mueller report. The intensity of some of the exchanges suggests multiple legal um, battles lie ahead for the Democrats in Congress and for President Donald Trump. A Turkish man who was wounded in the Christchurch mosque attacks has died in hospital, raising the death toll in New Zealand the death toll of New Zealand's worst mass shooting to 51 deaths. In further news, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has appealed to the Australian uh, diplomatic protection as he begins his legal battle against a bid for the US to extradite him from Britain. He was sentenced this week to 50 weeks in jail for skipping his bail um, before the entry to the Equidon uh, embassy. Julian's been held in one of Britain's high-profile prisons, um, which his WikiLeaks colleagues describe as appalling conditions. The 47-year-old is in general solitary confinement and he spends 23 hours a day in his cell. This is pretty unacceptable in terms of the fact that he's not a murderer, a rapist or anything, a publisher being held in jail, serving out his time. Um, We know that his mental health is not very good and in general terms this is probably unacceptable for a publisher to be spending his time in jail this way. In Thailand there's news of a new queen and she's been announced three days ahead of the king's coronation. Uh, Further news in the US include the uh, jailing of police, Minneapolis police officer Mohammed Noor, who faces a long stint behind the bars after a jury swiftly found him guilty of third-degree murder for shooting dead Australian life coast Justine DeMond in an alley. Justine had called the police uh, as she was worried about a domestic domestic violence situation close to her home. It's a very sad story for all those around, uh, including Miss Damon's family. Fishermen in Norway this week have come across an interesting uh, whale. Uh, 
he was found with a harness attached to it, which read equipment of St. Petersburg, indicating it's likely that the whale was trained as a Russian Navy spy. How unusual that this poor beluga whale was up for special ops. And as one of the uh, media personalities in Australia commented, it's like belugas wearing bazookas. What will the world come to? I know in the US they train dolphins and uh, Californian sea lions in uh, the Navy, but it's the first we've heard of beluga whales by Russia. Uh, Chinese In China, they have an interesting way of shaming their debtors, and they've been shaming them with their names and photos on the big screen um, ahead of the screening of popular films like The Avengers. People who owed money to the state were shamed on the big screen and many Chinese social media saying that this is great. So before we flow to the first break, just a reminder Francesca after the break. Francesca has been working in welfare, health and academic fields for the past year um, as a social work clinician, educationalist, planner and administrator. Uh, an advocate, trainer, psychotherapist and hypnotherapist. I am so delighted that we will have Francesca back on the show after a short break. So over to you, Rebel, and we'll join you again after the break. Radio Tony, bringing social consciousness, this time every Thursday evening, live from the Gold Coast, Australia, on W4WN. Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book from Australian author Tony Lontis. Available in paper, ebook, and audiobook formats, Resilience is the true life story of Tony experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues, and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Exposing moral issues you may have dealt with too. Read how hope and happiness triumphed in her life. Available at Amazon.com and all good online retailers. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Welcome back, everyone. So I'd like to reintroduce you today to lovely Francesca. Thanks for being with us today, Francesca. We're going to be talking about counselling and therapy and the different types of therapy that help people uh, get over their trauma and uh, PTSD. So I thought today with Francesca we'd start talking about what is counselling and therapy. Can you answer that for us today, Francesca? Yes, good morning to you and everyone. So counselling is... it's called the talking well there are many actually it's not just talking therapies there are many different kinds of therapies so what makes a difference is that you get you have medication pharmacological interventions and you have counseling interventions and therapy so the counseling can be one-on-one counseling that uh, involves 
again, many different kinds of modalities. So you could have psychotherapy, which is different to actually straight counseling. Psychotherapy okay. is more, yeah, it is actually. People think they're the same, but they were, they were actually not. So, right. yeah, so counseling is where you are talking to someone else about issues you have, and yeah. they they trained in that area and they have skills to, as you know, it's been mentioned in, in a number of places where the, the counselor doesn't tell people what to do, but yeah. it, but you, you would, you would un, unpack what is the problem. Yes. With the psychotherapy, you go more into the childhood. Yeah. So, you know, counseling and life coaching, they're not exactly the same, but they're a little more similar than psychotherapy. Yeah. So that's when you really delve into the childhoods and and past traumas and you know do it layer by layer. Yes, yes. And and then hypnotherapy is all of these actually work on the brain. All the therapies work on the yes, brain. Yes, yes. But but hypnotherapy particularly works on changing the neuropathways in the brain. And yeah. there was a lovely TV uh, documentary this week on. Um, the Australian TV station on yeah. S we have called SBS, Michael Mosley, which is yes. known all over the world. Yes. And he, he actually allowed himself to be hypnotized and they were able to show what areas of the brain are affected and change. Now, this yes. is the first time this has happened. Because uh -huh. a lot of people have thought, oh, hypnotherapy, but charlatan, you know, oh, a bit suspect. Not yes. sure. Are you know? Are people bringing up false memories? Are they putting yes. ideas? You know, every. Can you tell? Our, sorry, Francesca. Can you tell our listeners just quickly what the term false memories means? Okay. So false memory. This has actually come up in court when people have used hypnosis to yes. go back to their trauma, and what what some of the people in the in in the in the counseling area have said and in the, is that you're putting a memory into the person's mind. It's not actually their memory. Right. It's either a memory they've read about or seen on TV or it's yeah. someone else's memory. So that's what's called a false memory. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and, go on, Francesca. Sorry. Yeah. That's all right. So, yeah, so I, I, the way that I work with hypnotherapy is I don't put ideas in people's mind. It's actually not hypnosis as such. Yes. It's actually therapy while you're in that trance-like state. So what people say is they're aware of everything that's going on. They just don't feel like getting up and walking around. Okay. But, but they just go into a very deep some people feel like they're floating or they're spinning initially until their body gets used to um, being in that different state but it yeah. is a way to get into the subconscious and the unconscious of yes. people's memory and experiences and yeah. that's what's very valuable because you know counseling can be very daunting for some people it's scary you know you it is it is yeah you know, i Sorry, it's quite it's quite normal to be nervous about making a decision to get therapy and then actually starting the therapy, isn't it, Francesca? It, 
It is even for someone like myself who is a therapist. Yeah. And and you know, as part of my training, I had to go to therapy to yeah. my own therapy to so that I'm not transferring my issues onto the uh, client. Then that's essential as a therapist. But also, when I was going through a difficult time, when I had my own trauma, I sought counselling. And yeah. you know, you you. I I was, you know, I was a bit, oh, do I really want to share all these, you know, intimate, yes. personal, vulnerable details about myself? Yes. But it really was the best thing that I did. And I've done it many times in my life. I haven't only just done it once. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah. People should never underestimate the power of talking about uh, the trauma or the things that are that are bothering them because from our vulnerability comes our healing and knowledge. And if you engage with a wonderful therapist in whatever type of therapy that you deem is right for you, it's a positive process, isn't it, Francesca? Yeah. It is. You do need to get the right fit. You do need to be with someone comfortable. Comfortable doesn't mean you're not going to be challenged because that's Correct. part of the that's part of the therapist's job as well is to look at your patterns, to yeah. see where you keep repeating. You know, keep getting in abusive relationships. Not yes. that that that's the person's fault, but it but it's the therapist's job to see where the patterns are and to help you strengthen the ones that don't work for you and to change yeah. them. Yeah. So it's not um, – a therapist role is not to fix you but to help you and teach you about some skills that help you uh, interact with the world in a better way. That's right, yeah. And there are many tools, you know, you can use yes. – Cognitive behavior therapy, you can use hypnotherapy, psychotherapy, you can use tapping, which I actually love. Yes. And I mentioned last week about uh, tremoring, yes. which I think people need to look up. So there are many different kinds of therapy. And, you know, breathing we talked about last week as well. Yes. So that when people are anxious, they've got these tools. Kinesiology is also yes. good. You know, acupuncture is also good on emotional areas and overthinking ah. in the brain. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's I I used to, I use a technique called self sabotage technique, which is a horseman yes. technique, a particular yeah. kind of therapy. So I've used that. Um, you know, there are just there's regression therapy. There's reading energies. You know, also the hands on healing. The if people yes, are yes. into the into Reiki or those kinds of modalities, that all of that works on the energy bodies as yes. well as because your mind and your thinking are really just energy. Yes. Yes. You know, and counseling can involve thought and energy transformation. You know, there's so many, so many modalities. There is. People so, just need to look for what would suit them, what yeah. they feel. Because some people don't feel comfortable if I offer Reiki. They say, no, that's not. And then you're very respectful of that. There's Absolutely. also EMDR, which is, yes. you know, that's really good. Yeah, there, there's so many out there that are really good. Yeah. 
So I just, I'd like to explore some of the myths around counselling and therapy. And the first one I come across was um, that counselling is only for the weak. So I thought we'd talk about that concept that counselling's not actually for the weak. It actually takes quite a lot of effort and strength to realise that we need to do something um, to make ourselves uh, feel better and deal with the things that we're dealing with. So would you like to talk a bit more about that, that myth, Francesca? Yeah. Yes, certainly. So actually it takes courage to go for counselling yes. because, because you know you're going to open these wounds. Yes. And some of them, you know, and many people in order to get through life have put up uh, barriers or, you know, numbed themselves. But yes, it's going to come out in some way, either physically or in some other way, emotionally, in you know, we can't bury things forever. They will, they will always come to the surface somewhere along the line. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's certainly then, not for, for weak people at all. Yeah. In fact, you know, it's, you know, there's the comment about a child needs a village to bring them yes. up. Well, yes. so do we as adults. We need a village to support us. Yes. And and we can't expect our family. I don't get do therapy for my family. I send them to yes. therapists if they need it. Um, we can't we can do a certain amount of therapy for ourselves, but yes. we don't we can't offer we can see our patterns sometimes and sometimes yes. we don't. So we need and, and some, someone outside of ourselves. Yeah, that work, that's exactly right. And and let's face it, everyone has some sort of trauma in that life, be it big, massive trauma or just little trauma. Things yeah. like uh, weather events and health issues, battling chronic disease, breakups, all of those things affect us and have the capacity to change the way we interact with the world and with other people. And so uh, if everyone uh, accepts that there's going to be some sort of trauma, big or small, in their lives, then getting help doesn't become such a big deal, does it, Francesca? No, it's important to see this that because sometimes people also think if I go for counselling, I'm giving all my power away and someone's, you know, going to mm -hmm. kind of take over my life. They're not. You you always have the ability to say no. Like if I offer something to someone and they say no or they say I can't go there yet, you're respectful of that. Yes. And you and you wait until the person can talk about that situation. So that's that's really important. And it's also important to realise, you know, our friends they again can't be our therapists because Exactly. Friends will might see your patterns, but they might because a person is more vulnerable at a time of trauma and crisis. Yes, the other friend might not want to say, "Well, you know, this I've seen, I've known you for X number of years, and you know, I keep seeing this pattern re-emerging in your yes. interact interactions with people." But you, yeah. I, I even might not say it if I feel my friend's vulnerable at that point. But because yeah. you know. I'm a therapist and, 
you know, or because I'm a good friend, I might do it later, but I don't always do it at that time. Yeah. Whereas a therapist might decide, well, this is really an important time to do it. They're also very sensitive to when's the best time. Yes. To raise issues with the client. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another myth that I come across was that um, therapy was for crazy people or people with emotional problems and mental health issues. Um, and I just I wanted to point out to our listeners that therapy is actually for everyone, isn't it? Um, and it's about people having enough self-awareness that they need a little helping hand. And that's all therapy is, isn't it, Francesca? A helping yeah. hand? Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's a way for you to not feel totally abandoned and isolated yes. with your problems. Yes. It, so it's a way to be supported like the village, you know, yes. would, would, would support someone going through any particular difficulty. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's, so that's really that's that's important. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and you know, fortunately, it's becoming more acceptable to have counseling. Thankfully, yeah. So you know, we've got sportsmen, we've got politicians, yes. we've got celebrities. Now they've talked about their depression and their yes. anxiety or suicidal thoughts, and they've sought help. Yes, because actually, when you don't, it is much harder. You know, particularly for people who have suicidal thoughts. I think it's essential they seek counsel. Yes, yes, yes. Support because it's yeah. too much. It's far too much. I don't care who you are. It's far too much to have to deal on your own with. And and the other thing is that therapy can be quite hard work. You have to do the work to help yourself. The therapist is not going to do that for you either. So. Um, it, 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 it's not really self-indulgent. In, it, it's, it's hard work and it's about you taking responsibility for you, your actions, isn't it, Francesca? Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with that because it's, I have often said to people who come to therapy, you're being very responsible to yourself. Yes. And to any, anyone else that's affected by our yeah. trauma. Because we yeah. don't live in isolation. Even if you live alone, you still don't live in isolation because you've got all kinds of people you're interacting with That's during, right. you know, within a day. Yeah. So I, I think it's responsible. It, you know, shows a willingness to want to mature, deal with yeah. issues, and and just be prepared to to do the work to have a happier life, to be more yeah. content, more contented. Yeah. To, to to make life less of a struggle. Because yeah. often, often the unhappiness comes from feeling disconnected. That's one yeah. of the bases of being unhappy. Yeah. And, the, and then making and seeing life as such a struggle. So it's a way of changing people. So CBT, the lay way of explaining that cognitive behavior therapy, is really yeah. changing and replacing negative thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So, so, Francesca, we've just got to pop over for a little ad break and a song. After okay. we come back from the break, we'll finish off with Francesca, check that we've got some questions and just might go through some of those common types of therapy. So over to you, Rebel. Thank you. Keeping the conversation going on the suppressed social and moral issues, this is Radio Tony on W4WN. 
Join Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Keep the conversation going. Director assistant. Call Radio Tony. Hello. 561-623-9421 on W4WN Radio Guest Skype. Right from the start, you were a thief, you stole my heart. And I, your willing victim I let you see the parts of me that weren't all that pretty And with every touch you fix them Now you've been talking in your sleep Oh, oh, things you never say to me Oh, oh, tell me that you've had enough Oh
Radio Tony on W4WN, your safe space for tough conversations. Radio And welcome back, everyone. Now, we've got some wonderful listener questions for Francesca today. So the first one is, how do people know what they need as far as therapy goes? Well, sometimes I call it trial and success. You need to try different things until uh, you succeed. But one way to start off with is to read what the therapies offer and see yeah. which ones resonate with you. Yeah, and yeah. Another, another important thing to do is to actually ring the therapist. Now, if the therapist is prepared to give you time on the phone, that for me is a big tick. Definitely. You know, yeah. So you need to talk. So you can get an idea. You can ask them, how do they work? Get a feel. Do you, you know, do you connect with this person even just over the phone? So that's how I would start it. Yes, because therapy is very individual and one person's good therapist does not necessarily mean that they're good for you. Um, The next wonderful question we have from our listener is, can anyone go under hypnotic? So (laughs) can anyone have hypnotherapy? Well, some people are a bit easier to hypnotize than others. But, you know, everyone does respond. So people think you've got to go under. That's not actually what hypnotherapy is. Yeah. It's just it's just a form of relaxation, really. Yeah. And and some people it's amazing what the psyche and the brain can do to yeah. take you and what they use. I, I once worked with someone and they'd they needed their cat in their Im, in their imagination, you know, in their imagining. Right. To come into the room and then they were able to to go into those more vulnerable, scary places. So it really, you know, it amazed me at the time. But I thought, well, you know, people know within themselves, they know a lot. And yeah. often what the therapist is doing is just bringing out that, that inner knowing and wisdom and solutions that people have yeah yeah um the next question we have is about processing memories um and do we process our memories different the reader the listener wants to know yeah i I think we do i but i do think the brain works in a in a fairly similar way we all have you know a brain and we all have the components within that brain but because we're individuals, of course, we're going to, you know, find one modality works better or yes. having a particular therapy brings up memories in a particular way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, we're not meant – we're all individuals. So we need yeah. to just acknowledge and celebrate what our difference is and yeah. work work with that, work with yeah. being whatever it is. Yeah, I've got another interesting question from one of our listeners that's asking, um, can your friends be the cause of some of these bad patterns? And I'm only laughing because um, often friends and family can be the most difficult to deal with in terms of keeping yourself and your uh, mental health um, good. So do you want to talk about that, Francesca? Yeah, 
Absolutely, I agree with that, and that's when a lot of people do come for counselling. It's because of re- it's always to do with relationships. Yeah. So either either it's at work, it's your family, or it's your friends. So it's really important to know what to be become clearer. What is it that you value? What's important in your life? And the values would include you you want to be treated with respect, you don't want to be talked over, you don't want yeah. to be abused. Um, so often we, if you're a caring person, you will often find those people attract people who are more takers. And yes. often people who that we term narcissistic or have narcissistic tendencies yeah. will go for really caring people. And that yeah. includes friendships. And the, you have to be very clear on your boundaries there. And sometimes yes. people have decided to end their friendships because yes. they can see that they need to take control of the situation and it's never going to change because you can't change other people. You no. can change yourself, and but you can set boundaries. That's correct. And make decisions. Yeah. Now, Francesca, I'm conscious of time and I know that you have to um, be somewhere else. So just thank you so much for coming on my radio show today. And listeners, um, if you need to contact or you'd like to talk to Francesca, she has a website. And would you like to tell everyone what your website is, Francesca? Yeah, so I'm doing a new website at the moment. So it should be up uh, next middle of next week, end of next week. So it's www. Yes. Francesca, F-R-A-N-C-E-S-K-A, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, yes. dot com, dot A-U. Okay. I will put that into the chat for our listeners later. And after we come back from the break, <laughs> sorry, people, after we come back from the break, we'll be talking to the wonderful Wendy. Thank you again for your time, Francesca. I really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again soon. Over yeah, to Rebel pleasure. now. Radio Tony on W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book from Australian author Tony Londis. Available in paper, ebook, and audiobook formats, Resilience is the true life story of Tony experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues, and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Exposing moral issues you may have dealt with too. Read how hope and happiness triumph in her life. Available at Amazon.com and all good online retailers. Radio Tony on W4WN. Your safe space for tough conversations. Just 
that sentimental bullshit anyway. You know, it takes more than just a memory to make me cry. Oh, and I'm happy just to sit here round the table with old friends. And see which one of us could tell the biggest lie. Welcome back, everyone. You were just listening to Australia's Jimmy Barnes and Flame Trees. And uh, Jimmy has a powerfully uh, healing story about his own survival of childhood um, uh, abuse at the hands of alcoholic parents. Now, our radio guest today, before we throw to another break and go live with Wendy, um, is actually, uh, Wendy's actually a registered nurse and she's got 30 years of health experience um, in clinical education managerial roles and more recently as a personal trainer and health wellness coach. Wendy has a depth of experience in helping people with their health and wellness goals across a variety of health issues. Wendy has had her own transformation in both her personal and physical life throughout her 40s with clinical, when clinical obesity resulted uh, from Wendy being so completely stressed with life. She worked through divorce, raised two children independently from the ages of 8 and 10 and learned more about herself during that period than ever before. Wendy's self-esteem and self-education has taken a beating, built on a history of family tragedy, surviving relocations and re-establishing her, her career. Along the way, she, she discovered that she neglected her health to the point where she was severely compromised. The biggest thing that Wendy developed was her resilience and her mindset, fostering her self-worth. 
nutrition and exercise became secondary. Now into her 50s, Wendy's has maintained her weight and overall well-being, repartnered and now maintains a much healthier lifestyle. This has been born from her core values driven by her strong early family upbringing. Bringing all this experience together, Wendy Wendy's passion is to help others, particularly middle-aged women with hectic lives, varying histories, depression and low self-esteem. Wendy helps identify their priorities and develop strategies to suit their lifestyle to enable them to feel uh, fulfill their full potential. Wendy's been a registered nurse since 1989, a personal trainer and a wellness coach since mid-2007. So um, after we come back from our next little break, we will be live with Wendy to have a lovely discussion about her life. Thanks, Rebel. Radio Tony, difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl, discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book from Australian author Tony Lontis. Available in paper, ebook and audio formats, Resilience is a true life story of Tony experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Available for download now through all good online retailers and in all good bookstores. Keeping the conversation going on the suppressed social and moral issues. This is Radio Tony on W4WN. And welcome back, everyone. Today we have the wonderfully courageous and empowering Wendy um, to talk about an emotionally abusive relationship and marriage. But before we start with Wendy and welcome her on board, I'd like to let you know, listeners, that some of the content may be triggering. Um, So in Australia, if you need to talk to someone, please call the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800 or the Respect Line on 1800 737 732. In the US, the phone number to call is 1800 799 7233 and in Canada, 1866 863 So good morning, Wendy. How are you? Good morning, Tony. It's um, I'm really well this morning on beautiful Brisbane morning. It is lovely weather today. So, um, Wendy, today we're going to talk about a difficult subject called verbal and psychological abuse. Mm. And um, I just wanted to make our viewers aware of just how serious and widespread the problem is in Australia and the US and across the world. And verbal and psychological abuse falls into the domestic violence category. And this significant social problem is ultimately preventable, um, but not by the victims. Um, The prevalence of violence against women is something we need to understand. And some of the key statistics around the prevalence of violence against women. And I thought it was appalling to look at the research yesterday when I was prepping for our radio show and know that in Australia, on average, one woman a week is murdered by her current or former partner. One in three Australian women experience some form of violence from the age of 15. 
one in five Australian women experience sexual violence, one in six Australian women experience physical or sexual violence from their current or former partner, one in four Australian women experience emotional abuse at the hands of a partner or former partner. Australian women are three times more likely than men to experience violence from an intimate partner. Now, Australia's statistics are particularly appalling when it comes to our Indigenous women. And in 2014-2015, pardon me, Indigenous women were 32 times more likely to be hospitalised due to family violence than non-Indigenous women. And the statistics in the United States are similar, with an average of 20 people experiencing intimate partner violence every minute of the day. This equates to 10 million abuse victims annually. In America, one in four women and one in nine men experience intimate partner violence. The costs of this emotional or and physical abuse in America results in eight million days paid work lost due to this type of violence. And the costs are estimated in the US alone to be $1.3 billion a year. So it's important that we talk about this. Um, so, Wendy, I'd like to start today by getting you to tell our listeners that what led you to the situation that you found yourself in. Mm. So um, thank you for having, having me on the show, Tony. Um, it's my pleasure. This, <laughs> it's, um, it's quite a difficult topic to talk about, so I'm sure the yes. viewers out there will probably relate to some of this. And yes. um, So what led me to find myself in that situation when I was 17, um, I actually had a very good family upbringing. Uh, when I was 17, my dad got um, uh, sick with a disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. So he went yes. from being an able body, well, um, you know, well-respected person yes. in the community to being um, a quadriplegic basically overnight. Oh. Um, so you can imagine as a 17-year-old um, young woman, my sister was six years older than me, so she had dad walk her down the aisle when she got married. Oh. Um, and unfortunately, at 17, that it didn't happen for me. So the next, you know, um, two years were quite traumatic for my family. My mum had to basically give in her job and look after my father in wow. our own home. Um, but for me, that, that, you know, my male role model had been swept away from me physically. Um, yeah. He was still able to, after he had gone through rehabilitation, still able to, had his own mind, could speak, but he was mm -hmm. um, phys physically confined. So translating that into, at that time, um, I met my now ex-husband when yeah. I was going through that traumatic time. I was extremely yeah. vulnerable and um, he was a dashing army fellow. Um, yeah. You know, we, we were attracted to each other quite almost instantly. Yeah. Um, fast forward, I did, I did marry this gentleman one month off my yeah. 19th birthday and he yeah. swept me off my feet. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, we had uh, 10 years of a good marriage. We had two beautiful yeah. children um, yeah. But during that time, there were little cracks that started to appear in our relationship. Um, finances, yes. 
that's often how abuse starts, isn't it, Wendy, that things are essentially good and very good and beautiful to begin with and then slowly things start to happen that aren't great. Is that my... That's right. And, you know, in, in hindsight, and I've only reflected on this in the last few years, there were moments in those early years where really... You know, the warning signs were there. And yeah. I'd, I'd just like to say too that, you know, leading leading up to the, you know, the breakdown of the marriage, divorce, etc., it actually worked both ways because yeah. I was raising two children and keeping the household going. My yeah. ex-husband developed an illness. And I won't go yeah. into that, but there was a physical yeah. injury that compromised his situation to be able to be physically active, you know, with the household yeah. duties, etc., but, um, you know, that manifested itself over a couple of years where he actually yeah. didn't look after his self-health, which compromised yes. our family. And I was in a corner. Um, I was trying to keep the household going, raising two kids, etc., yeah. and trying, yeah. trying to keep things as normal as possible. But the relationship just deteriorated. Yes. Um, there was never any uh, physical abuse. It was mainly um, emotional abuse. Emotional manipulation and verbal abuse between us both when we were fr- when yeah. we were frustrated, and yeah. when it came down to the, the nuts and bolts of what are we going to do, yeah, that that's when the the behaviour of my ex husband escalated and uh-huh. became became warning signs for me to do something, not only for myself but also to protect the environment of my two children. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell our listeners what sort of abuse you suffered at his hands? Um, It was mainly emotional, like the communication breakdown, you know, the inability to openly communicate about things um, leading to, you know, quite aggressive testosterone-type behaviour that um, I'm a a very caring, gentle person that really really upset me at the time yes. and I didn't manage that very well. Um, but the, the types of things were, you know, just that constant, the, the, the verbal put-downs, the, yes. um, the, the, you know, the in, innuendo. At that, t- at that stage, I was yes. developing clinically, clinical obesity. Um, yes, yes. So it, it was all the, um, you know, the reference to that or the... Yeah. You know the the comments about so insulting and not and, and, and not, and not being a, not being attractive, all those yeah. sort of things. Yeah. Um, was there was there any financial issue to the abuse that you suffered? There was the financial um, uh, background behind that. It deteriorated over those over those two to three years, mainly yeah. due to we went from being a double income to my ex. Yeah. Uh, not being able to work, so there was yeah. some huge financial constraints, and yeah. um, because I was in a position to be able to work, I so yes. I, I worked in my full time job, but on the weekends yeah. I also picked up some casual work for a few months oh. to enable wow. us to keep up with our finances. We, you know, again with the communication, we had I had tried, attempted to sit down and say this yeah. is actually not working. We need to readjust things. Yeah, but um. It, it just wasn't able to be openly communicated without um, without being exposed to that behaviour that I mentioned yeah. beforehand. Yeah. And, you know, that just put 
an extra strain on me. Yeah. Um, the, the children, you know, my, my children now are 27 and 28. And, yeah. you know, when we've talked about this in the last few years, they actually have very recollect, very little recollection of the time period back then. They yeah. can remember mum and dad not being together anymore but in the same house. They yeah. can remember they can remember the conversations getting a little bit heated. But yeah. sen- sensibly and I I think I'm partially to to be responsible to protect them, we yes. kept those conversations out of the, the children's earshot. Yeah. 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 I've got a couple of questions from our listeners, Wendy. So the first sure. one, um, just to reiterate, what brought on the money issues for you guys? So we were financially strapped. We had a mortgage. We both had two cars that were under finance and we were relying on credit card debt. Um, yeah. Through through that time, you know, we were basically living fortnight to fortnight. Yeah. Around yeah. all those financial um, issues, it was really hard. Yeah. And the the next question from one of our listeners is: um, Did the communication or the money break down first? Communication, and yeah. in in reflecting back on you know the happy 10, 12 years, there yeah. were there were snippets within there that I could see the cracks were falling. But, you know, I'm a caring, um, loving kind of person. And, you know, to keep the household happy, you know, I just moved on with the next topic. We didn't really, you know, go into depth. We didn't really talk about it. And Mm -hmm. um, in hindsight, I don't know what would have changed if we had talked about it, but it was the fact that I can recall the situations where if, if that, could have happened then um maybe things might have turned out a little bit better so what was the trigger that caused you to realize that you were living with someone that was verbally um abusive and emotionally manipulative yes um there was one incident where it nearly became physical and that was the trigger for me there was um uh, a situation where we were in a heated conversation and Um, he grabbed my arm and I, and strong enough to leave a bruise on my arm oh, wow. um, that, I, that I went, no, and he realised it at the time too and pulled yes. back. Um, yeah. And immediately, we didn't have the children. I don't can't recall, you know, the situation yes. that we didn't yes. have them in the house. Yeah. But I immediately jumped in the car and went down to the local police station and I said, yes. look, I don't want to put a report in, but this is what's happening. This yes. is my address blah 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 so I went back to the household and then we you know went on and tried to talk about it etc it never came to that point well it never came like the physical it didn't progress any further I think my ex-husband realized that whoops that I've stepped over the line yeah the 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 proximity of um a verbally abusive uh relationship jumping into a physical abusive relationship is so close and such a fine line so often women find themselves in a verbally abusive relationship that escalates to the physical and it's so subtle and so slow and as with you Wendy he just he grabbed your arm off hard enough to leave a bruise 
um, and, and that triggered you. But for some women, the change is so subtle that they don't quite realise until they're a lot further down the track um, would be my experience and understanding. So I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners how you removed yourself from that situation. I don't know what it was at that point, but it just triggered a strength in me. Um, and I, yeah. I go I go back to, it's interesting that you had Francesca talking about values and strength and setting yes. boundaries. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty strong person. Yeah. And because of my familial, you know, my family upbringing of being yeah. fam, family values number one, yeah. the, 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 the thing that's held me true and fast through all of this is the well-being of my children, not alone yeah. myself. Yeah. So, so pulling on those values and my inner strengths, I um, basically became a lot firmer in my communication yes, with my yeah, ex-husband yeah. and yeah. Um, it was around about, you know, a month, six weeks later yeah. that we actually sat down and said, this is just not working. And at that stage, we sat down with our children at the table okay. and they were quite accepting that mum and dad couldn't be together anymore. So it was it was that trigger point that... Um, that changed our situation. So I've got another question from one of our listeners. How far did the abuse get? Uh, physical abuse. I'll talk I, about well the, well, the physical yeah. abuse stopped then and there. Yeah. Um, but the verbal abuse, there were still yeah. taints of it throughout that sort of six to eight week period. Yeah. Um, and... I'd have to say it continued on after that in, yes. you know, in trying to communicate it, how, how we're going to work things through with separating and divorce. Did it, you it, try any couples therapy? No. Um, no. I, I did suggest that as part of a strategy yeah. that I would wanted to try yeah. as part of our um, working through things, but mm-hmm. my, my, my ex-husband would not participate. Yeah, that's that's often I hear from talking to lots of women that that's often the case, that they just refuse to get any therapy. So you're left with a decision to stay and manage, which is never really the best solution or, or leave and, and um, deal with, with the um, outcome of that. But um, another question from a listener is, um, was there any abuse of the children? No. Um, oh, gee, that's a really good question because yeah. when I'm, and I'm going to say that's a really good question because when you're in it, you yes. don't see it, but when you yes. reflect on it, yes. you sometimes you you pick up little bits and pieces that possibly is a a little bit of um uh down, yeah. You know, yeah. um, talking down your children. Um, yes. I, I'd have to say my daughter is the eldest one. My son is the youngest one. Yeah. My daughter and my ex-husband probably have a stronger relationship now than yes. my son being first born and being in the more happier years. But yes. my my son definitely... Um, he doesn't talk uh, to his father? No. And... No, oh, he, he doesn't, doesn't have any relationship with him. Oh, they both do, but I'd yeah. say my daughter, my daughter has the closer relationship now than what my son has. Mind yeah. you, when we're together, the last two or three years, yeah. we we actually don't talk about. I don't talk about my ex. Yeah, my yeah. children don't. My children don't raise my ex. So there's there's yeah. basically no conversation around that. So yeah, fair enough. Mm. 
um, at the time that this was all going on, how did you manage with your children around this behaviour? Did you put certain things into place? Mm, very much so. I uh, My children were both very active in sports. So their sporting yeah. Communi- yeah. communities um, kept their um, routines uh, regular and they it was interesting, um, the sporting community, particularly around my son, mm-hmm. um, preserved him with male role, role models, etc. Um, wow. So I was, I was very much aware of that and I wanted to have positive adult male role models around him when he was growing up and I'm really pleased yeah. I did that because yeah. he's such a beautiful human now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another listener question, um, do you think it was because your son saw more of the relationship breakdown that he has a more frac- fractured relationship with his father now? I think he was too young when it all first yeah. started and then yeah. when we sat down, he could actually see, like he was 12, yeah. 11, 12 when we separated. When we first yeah. started all this, it was like seven, eight. So he was yeah. he was too young but yeah. over the next two or three years, he could see that mum and dad weren't really behaving like a mum and dad should. So yeah. when we sat down at that table, he could see that, it probably would be a happier time if we actually parted ways and then in fact it did so when I separated I moved out and got a unit of my own you know the three of us actually had a very different life to what we did in the house yeah 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 um another question from our listeners boys are mostly closer to their mother so do you think he holds bad feelings to his mother because he treated his mother in such a bad way that's a really great question because it is, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's very true, and I totally agree with um, yes. with what that listener has said. And um, I was accused of being a bit model coddling of him rather than yeah. raising him as being a strong boy. And yeah. I don't know whether it's just Australian culture, but I think Australian men in general, and I'm speaking generally here, yes. have that view that they want their boys to be grown, you know, tough it out, don't be emotional, yes. all that sort of thing. And it's interesting that the stat that you mentioned before that men also are in abusive relationships yes. in yes. Australia. And, yes. um, you know, you could talk long and wide about that. But I would totally agree that, yes, my son definitely had a a closer relationship with me probably than my daughter my daughter's a very independent person yes um i wonder if that's first child daughter mm. uh, because i would reflect i have a daughter and a son my daughter is the oldest she's much more independent and my son is the younger and uh he is a the most beautiful human being um because he was essentially brought up by a single mum um and is he strong absolutely without a doubt but he has a very good uh emotional maturity that i don't see in a lot of other young men um around his age would you agree wendy that totally mums bring up (laughs) strong boys yes yeah (laughs) um my my son um he is a very wise man for his 27 yes. years, yes. Yes, same, same. I have a 27-year-old son, exactly the same. Very wise for his years, very wise, yeah. Um, so a little bit back to you. What mm. effect did this emotional abuse have on you? Mm. 
it brought about an awareness of where I was at that point. I, as I mentioned, clinical obesity was the symptom that um, I had to do something about because I was having some health issues. Yeah. But what during that process of sorting through that, it was my mindset and my attitude that I had to work on and uh-huh. building building on those values, strengths and those boundaries. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah. But um, so... The whole experience has made me a stronger person. It's made yes. me more aware of, well, being a nurse, and you would know yes. this, Tony, is yes. that you do you do have a perception around people. Yes. Um, you can pick up things. You do use your intuition Trishing. around people. Yes. And yes. I, I, I would have to say I have a stronger awareness without verbally communicating with people. Um, yes about people and um, these days I don't cope with conflict very well and I ask myself a question when I'm in the middle of a conflict in a situation I ask myself uh, now do I need to be involved in this yes no (laughs) Uh uh very quick the no's if it's a no then don't get involved with it if it is actually involving you how can you objectively without getting emotion emotional actually yeah. participate in that conflict so yeah for me now that it's the the anxiety around a conflict situation that yes. does does yes. get to me now yes yeah it leaves a legacy of you've dealt with so much conflict you really don't want it in your life anymore um i'm wondering during that time if you suffered from some of the other health issues that i know um research shows from emotional abuse i'm wondering about the insomnia depression i know you had the health problems um i'm just wondering if those other things came into play for you insomnia no yeah (laughs) no i would go i would go to bed absolutely exhausted every night i you know i'm human there would be some nights that i would have a restless night but it wouldn't be a pattern Um, As far as depression, my mum passed away in 2005 and dad, of course, when he passed away, my children, uh, Rhiannon was only just a baby. So there's a couple of couple of incidents there that could clinically, you know, you know, make me depressed. My mum definitely after her after her passing, that was a a shock and yeah. You know, I was, you know, low in mood, etc. But that's yeah. perfectly normal, you know, two or three months, etc. But yeah. as far as you know, going through, going through the divorce and relocating and re-establishing, I yeah. can't recall any time where I was depressed. I actually that's felt like I've, I've, I felt like I was being me again. Yeah. I yeah. re. I changed my name back to my maiden name. That was yes. hugely and hugely significant for me. I did um, the same thing <laughs> <laughs> because it was basically putting a stamp on I am me, and yes. um, I'm not going to be anybody else but me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from that time, are there any? Is there any memory that exists um, from that time now? Is it, um, did you ever have uh, anything like PTSD or is it is the lasting memory for you that aversion, I, I'll use the word, in love of um, conflict, you don't like conflict? Is that the lasting thing, do you think? Yeah. 
I, I don't think anybody likes conflict. It makes everybody no. feel uncomfortable, but it's managing yes. it and making yes. the decision as to whether, like I said before, if you need to be involved with that or not. Yes. Um, so th- as far as PTSD, I, um, I know what that's about because my yeah. ex-husband actually experienced yeah. that as part of his health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as far as me, and, you know, I might be in denial, it might pop up later <laughs> on, but as far, yeah. as, far yeah. as I'm aware, yeah. there's nothing there really that I've experienced um I do reflect back on periods of or times or you do you do get flashbacks like something will actually yeah. trigger a memory that's probably been long forgotten yeah um, yes. but it's just working through that and and um resolve that I'd have to say I never I was talking you know listening to Francesca's yeah. talk about therapy yeah. and counseling I never sought actively sought therapy and counseling yeah but yeah. being in being in the nursing profession I had a very good nursing colleague that was yeah. working with in mental health at that time and he would meet with me once a week once a fortnight for a morning coffee and and that was very helpful and you talked to him about what you were feeling experiencing and going through no doubt absolutely and he could see it like he's a working colleague he could see um what was going on and he also had um um uh, I knew him outside of work as well through our yeah. children. So yeah. there was a personal connection. And I totally agree with Francesca, you know, about therapy and if you're seeking therapy that you really, yeah. really and, have, and to, have to like the therapist <laughs> that you're going to see. That's right. The other thing is to, to remind our listeners that therapy doesn't always uh, mean a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a, a social worker. As in your case, you could describe your weekly meetings with your mental health colleague as a form of therapy, and that's perfectly okay, isn't it? It is, and um, yeah, definitely. And uh, I really appreciated his help during yeah. that time. He was he was not only emotionally helping me, but the mm-hmm. practical practical things about separation divorce looking at child support and giving yeah. me the, the thumbs up about you know the future financial yes. considerations to think about because that's me I'm practical I'm organized yeah. and I needed to know you know what is the next four or five years going to look like for me yeah. financially mm-hmm. yeah 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 um what kept you focused on raising your children during those years was it your talks with your colleague or as a strong person you determined this is the way forward and this is what I'm going to do it was me setting goals for myself and um being you know my focus was on my two children in being well-grounded human beings and learning through their experiences and like I say I, I kept them in their school activities and kept them in their sporting communities with their friends yes. um, like we still had friends over during all this time they they went to people's places during that time yeah which tried to I tried to normalize their um, their childhood as much as possible yeah yeah All right, Wendy, I'm going to give us a little break and the listeners a little break and we're going to throw to um, a little ad section. When we return, I've got some um, more questions from our listeners and some more questions for you, Wendy. So we'll just pop on for a little ad break. Over to you, Rebel. Keep the conversation going. Direct assistance. Call Radio Tony. Hello. 561 623 
9421 on W4 WN Radio Guest Skype. Join Tony Londis, author of Resilience, Memoir of a Broken Little Girl, discovering a woman of strength and beauty on the Women for Women Network. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony is your safe space for these tough conversations. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Radio Tony, bringing social consciousness this time every Thursday evening. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. And welcome back, everyone. We're live on air with the lovely Wendy. Um, and I've got a listener's question um, uh, for you, Wendy. And, and they want to know, um, do you feel you stayed strong through all of this? Absolutely. Outwardly, um, everyone that I worked with throughout that time, I, I, I reckon I probably had maybe three days sick leave through wow. all of this. Wow. Um, through my, you know, as in stress leave, family leave. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. Work work for me was something that was safe, you know. It was yes. a, something that I knew. It's something that I could do and um, that, str- that I've got a very strong sense of purpose about me and yeah. anyone that I know <clears throat> on the outside, very strong, very reliable, um, always, you know, doing the right thing by people. But yeah, during yeah. that time on the inside, I felt very isolated and very vulnerable. Yeah. But it was it was the the keeping of the routines and keeping things ticking over, yeah. talking to talking to that friend, and also yeah. having having a community around me. You know, my mum, yeah. my sister, yeah. um, and a few close friends. And might I say, my ex's family were supportive of us as a family unit, which I oh, just wow. totally appreciate. Um, what, what a gift. And even, and even now there's no animosity there. Yeah, um, we, yeah. we don't talk that often anymore. But, um, you know, during that time and then in the few years afterwards, they definitely um, supported that. So the, the key to some of these horrible situations where you're thinking about the kids is that that routine and sport I I know from from my I kept my kids in lots of sport and kept them busy and they had look good circles of friends which helped them and uh, I do remember though feeling quite isolated and alone from time to time and I'm sure you probably felt the same Wendy I did yes yeah. very much yeah. Um, I think uh, for me, music has always been one of the things that I've enjoyed over time and music sort of triggers a lot of memories and happy, you can put on happy music or you can put yeah. on melancholy music to suit yeah. your mood. Um, yeah. Music um, in my the time that I could actually listen to it because <laughs> you don't have much time when you're raising kids, um, yeah. that, that was um, a very a good way of relaxing and unwinding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got another question from one of our lovely listeners. Did keeping busy make things worse? Mm, That's a good question. For you or the kids? Yes. Um, For the children, I think it it made things um, reliable for them. They could count on that. And 
I mean, it's well known if you keep your children in sport and an active community that they end up being well-rounded children. Yeah. Um, there's there's also some stuff that I've read recently that, you know, the, the moments in your child's life, the most important ones are first thing in the morning when they get home from school and the last few minutes before they go to bed. And I actually yeah. agree with that. They're, yeah. you know, like the touch points of their day that yes. um, where you can invest and it doesn't take much um, and I certainly, well, I didn't know that research back then, but I certainly yeah. incorporated that into their into their routines. Yeah. Me keeping busy, well, yes. <clears throat> like I said before, I've got a very strong sense of purpose. So, you know, yeah. why are we on this earth yeah. is to ha- have a purpose in life. So, yes, I have kept myself with busy, you know, study even with work during yeah, this time yeah. I did my graduate certificate when my yeah. children were like two and four yeah and then yeah. I went on to start a master's program later yeah. on after I'd left so for me keeping you know mentally active and in tune with my career and where I've been heading has been extremely important to my intellectual well-being yeah 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 so I'm wondering through this time how did you manage interactions with mutual friends? Hmm. So the mutual friends that we had was in the sporting communities and uh-huh. uh, um, it was quite interesting because I I made a conscious decision that I would not talk about anything in yes. openly with that community, that I would try yeah. and keep things as normal as possible. Yeah. But, um, uh, and I was always there. <clears throat> on yeah. the Saturday morning, I was doing the jobs, you know, that a parent does, you know, keeping yeah. the, the scoring with the cricket and all that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. basically I kept the roles the same. But um, my ex-husband, it's funny that your community senses what's not right yeah. and the community responds um, appropriately. So yeah. at the few times that my ex-husband used to come to these events, um, they, they also supported him in a degree but how did Uh we how did I cope with that well yeah um I'd have to say the use of space yes (laughs) when the communication was not happening was very good way of doing that so you know I'd you know position myself that I wasn't in a position where I would be in a three-way conversation with someone it was always yeah separate communication and keeping it um, I'm going to say professional, courteous or <laughs> yeah, in front yeah. of everybody, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did this affect you where other men are concerned after you got divorced? So there's that whole conversation around divorced women and how do you start dating again and how that impacts on your views of men and, and meeting other men. So I thought we'd have a little bit of a chat about that. Mm-hmm. Very scary. Oh, my goodness me. When you've been with the same partner for nearly 20 years and when you joined, you know, when I was 17, when I met this man, oh, my God, how do you do that after all those years of being faithful to the one man Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you become interested in wanting to have that part of your life again? Yes. I I found looking looking men in the eye and having a conversation – in those first few years, very, very difficult because, yeah. um, you know, that sense of trust had gone, that sense of, um, you know, can I actually trust this person yeah. that I'm meeting yeah. and talking to? Yeah. Um, fortunately, I've repartnered. I repartnered yeah. about t- 10 years ago and uh, 
um, we've talked, he's come from a broken relationship as well. So we talk about this quite often about how we went through that and we're very similar personalities. Um, We have a lot of things in common. And, but the number one thing that I think has held us together for the 10 years is that we are friends first. Yes. So the yes. communication there for us has been there since day one. Um, yeah. But I'd, I'd have to say, you know, in the, the time leading up to meeting my now partner, yeah. that was such a challenging time. I had to yeah. explore within me to yeah. get to build on myself a con- self-confidence, self-esteem. And, yeah. you know, physically I had to work on myself. Yeah. In, yeah. in order for me to be, because that's, you know, basic basic biology is that yeah. you have to, you know, you have to be mutually attractive to somebody that's before right. you're going to, before you're going to yeah. take the next step. That's a fact yeah. of life. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, how did you meet your partner? I'd have to say online. Yeah, me how, too. <laughs> how, how do people after 40 actually meet their partners? Um, I, I'm not a pub and club person. Yeah, and um, you know we chatted online for about three months. Very yes. scary stuff. Um, yeah. And then we decided to meet. Now, um, anyone that's listening who knew when I met my partner during that time, I was too embarrassed to say that. So I would yeah. say we met through a mutual friend. Yeah, there's there's because there's, there's so much stigma. There's so much now. stigma around it. Yes, but mm. yes, ten years ago when I met my husband I'd met him online as well and um, there was still a bit of a stigma about meeting online but the thing with online is that you can have a lot of tough conversations over the ease of email um, and really get to know someone before you actually met meet them so um, I actually thought it was a great way to uh, meet someone and I know and then I've sub- subsequently found out a lot of the women around our age met yeah. their partners online and have had wonderfully fruitful long loving relationships since that so mm. um, I'm wondering did your experience, um, affect your current relationship with your partner? I'd have to say yes, but learning through yeah. the lessons. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're both very sensitive to each other's needs now. We both yeah. openly communicate about, you know, the intricacies of a relationship. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, definitely we're much more aware. But, uh, you know, is that, you know, the second relationship or is, act- is that actually age-related awareness you know who knows interesting thought isn't it because I'm very much like you and I am not the same person I was all those years ago Mm. I'm completely different and um, my husband likes to say that if we'd met each other in our 20s then we probably wouldn't have given each other the time of day (laughs) so there's something lovely about that aging and experience process that I don't know it seems to bring beautiful relationships as we age I'm not sure whether our listeners would agree with that but I know that that's been the thing in in my life the wonderfulness of a later life relationship so to speak it's the wisdom about relationships yeah yeah the the wisdom that that beautiful wisdom that comes with age and it that is the best part of the aging process. Mm. Um, so I'm wondering, your kids are 27 and 28 now. Mm. How do you think they're doing? 
I'm really proud of them, proud as yeah. punch of them. Um, yeah. they're, they're doing okay. They're like any other young um, 27, 28-year-olds. They're yeah, dealing yeah. with their, their life issues, yeah. but their, their core values are very, um, very grounded. Um, and it's funny because um, – well, it's not funny. My yeah, daughter yeah. – my daughter was a baby when I lost my dad. So my dad, yeah. reflecting back on the first part of the show, yeah, um, yeah he died at 57. He was 57. But my son never met him. But my son oh. has so many of his personal attributes and values in him. You know, oh. the strength, the quiet wisdom, the yeah, yeah. Um, all of those strengths that I see in him. And he never actually knew my dad. So, you know, I'm going to put my chest out and say I actually think that my son has picked up my dad's values and strengths yeah. through through me and the way that yeah. I've raised him um, yeah. and not only that but the role the male people that I put him in front of yeah. as a, in, you know a young fellow he's picked up a lot of those attributes and and that's something I want to you know that that's the one of the points I want to make for our listeners when you've got children concerned in this in, in the breakup of a relationship it's not about replacing their dad mm. but about putting in front of them strong role male role models that they can uh, relate to isn't it and often that's in the form of you your sporting coaches and uncles and uh, that sort of thing, isn't it, Wendy? It is. So William had his um, his cricket coach. He had his uncle. Yeah. He had um, his best friend's father. They yeah. were instrumental. Um, he used to go on two weeks every September on a holiday yeah. for about six years in a row. They went to yeah. um, a beautiful place. So he had quality time with these male role models. And you're exactly right. Like it's not replacing... It's not replacing the father because, you, you know, that's yeah. just different, but it's just yeah. having that influence around them. Because they st um, it's, it's very important for boys to still have a male role model to look up to um, mm. when their dad is no longer in their day-to-day -day life, um, mm. so to speak. And I'd have to say that with my daughter as well. It's not yeah. easy these days raising a daughter um, no. <laughs> and, and having the, the female friends around me to support her in, you know, the person that she's become today. And yeah. she fortunately has two beautiful children. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm a, uh, I'm a nanny. So those, yeah. uh, the six-year-old twins are uh, oh, growing wow. up to be, yeah, they're growing up to be fabulous little girls. Oh, wow. Well, Wendy, we are just about out of time, but I'd like the listeners, if, if you'd like to connect with Wendy, Wendy, could you uh, tell our listeners how they can connect with you before we throw to the, our, uh, another ad? So there's two ways. One is obviously I have a personal timeline on Facebook. So yes. that's through Wendy Trevathan. I'd really like to connect and chat through there. But I also and have I'll a put these up on the chat group um, at the end of the show for everyone. Yep, and I also have a website, and that's www.healthyoptionsnow, all one word, dot yes. org. Excellent. Um, and so your primary work now is helping um, those of us that are in midlife um, live better, healthier lives. Is that correct? Yeah. I've got a dual role at the moment. Yeah. I still work within my nursing profession and oh, I don't yeah. I don't know whether I'll ever leave that because I yeah. love looking after people that are yeah. unwell. But yeah. um in the last few years health and wellness coaching has come to the forefront, yes. Yeah. 
Well, Wendy, thank you very much for joining us today on Radio Tony. Um, I look forward to catching up with you soon. And over to Rebel now. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you. Radio Tony on W4WN. Your safe space for tough conversations. Feels warmer sleeping here alone. You know, I dream in color and do the things I want. You think you got the best of me, think you've had the last laugh, but you think that everything good is gone. Think you left me broken down, think that I'll come on. Doesn't kill you, makes you stronger Stand a little taller Doesn't mean I'm lonely when I'm alone What doesn't kill you, makes a fighter What's that fever lighter? Doesn't mean I'm over, cause you're gone What doesn't kill you, makes you stronger Stronger Just me, myself, and I What doesn't kill you, makes you stronger
Lantis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with your secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony with Tony Lantis, Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Radio Tony on W4WN, a platform for the unheard. And welcome back, my lovely listeners. So you've got me for the next little while of the show. So following on from our discussions today, I just thought it might be important to discuss some of the characteristics of abusers. So abusers, the main objective in intimate relationships is to dominate and control their victim. They're manipulative and clever and they use a myriad of tactics to gain and maintain control over their partner. Often in cycles that consist of good periods and peace and quiet followed by periods of abuse. The cycle often starts to repeat and becomes more frequent and more intense as the time goes on. Each relationship is different and not every relationship follows the exact pattern. Some abusers may cycle rapidly others over longer periods of time. Regardless, abusers purposefully use numerous tactics of abuse to instill fear in the victim and to maintain control over them. The overarching strategy used by abusers is referred to as cohesive control. Cohesive control includes a combination of abusive tactics such as isolation, degradation, micromanagement, manipulation, stalking, physical abuse, sexual coercion, threats and punishment. An abuser may use some of these tactics, vary them, use a combination of them, but they all tend to get used over time and they're effective in in establishing dominance over their victim. A dominant and controlling partner may initially present at the onset of the relationship as wonderful, loving and attentive. They may be charming, successful, well-liked and are often very romantic and interested in their partner's interests and desires. They may want to be with them all the time. They're very attentive and charming with their partner's friends and family. They're supportive and kind. However, over time these behaviours start to change. The attention that may, be initi- that may have initially been exciting and flattering starts to feel isolating and controlling. The victimised person may start to feel isolated from friends and family because their partner dominates so much of their time. The abuser may start to object to their partner's time spent with others and to make it so difficult to do things independently of them that the victim stops trying to do so. Prolonged exposure to this type of treatment combined with periods of loving and desirous behaviour by the controlling partner can lead to the victimised person feeling trapped, silenced and lacking in self-esteem. If the victimised person tries to assert themselves, the abuser often ramps up the abuse and may become more and more controlling and abusive. 
So the victimised person may come to fear the abuser for various very valid reasons and may feel they are unable to escape or leave. It's important to note that the victimised person may not be able to get away from their abuser because the abuser will not let them do so. Abusive tactics used to establish dominance and control over a partner can include some of the following. They might be extremely jealous or exhibit signs of possessiveness. They try to convince others that they are the victim in the relationship. They blame the victim for causing them to abuse them. They become unpredictable. They're cruel to animals. They may be physically, verbally, emotionally and psychologically abusive. They're extremely controlling. They're rigid in their beliefs about the roles of women and men in relationships. They're particularly interested in guns and weapons. They may be forceful with sex and disrespectful of their partner's wishes around sex. They may be vigilant about their partner's every move. They blame their partner when anything bad happens. They have a bad temper and they're easily angered. They come from a violent household. Some have been known to sabotage birth control methods or refuse to honour agreed-upon protection methods. They sabotage or obstruct their partner's ability to work or attend school. They control the finances in the relationship. They're abusive of family members, children or pets. The forms of domestic violence include things like battery, Battery is a pattern of abusive behaviour that a person is fearful for their physical and sexual safety. It involves control, intimidation and coercion. Um, Another form of domestic violence is isolation, where they force their partner to account for their time and whereabouts and make their partner tell them whom they visited, who they talked to on the phone, who they're texting, um, and refuse to let them be a separate, autonomous person. So a question from one of our viewers, can you be in this type of relationship with anyone? Absolutely, you can be in this type of... this. Abusive behaviours is not limited to your intimate partners. It can be with your parents. It can be with your friends. It can be with other family members. If they exhibit any of these things, that's an abusive relationship. Um, It it includes emotional abuse where uh, the partner plays on your insecurities and gives you mixed messages and insults you and degradates you and tells you what you shouldn't shouldn't do Um, it involves financial abuse um, exploiting your uh, partner's money or gaining access to your financial um, resources and sometimes they threat to control the children so if you leave I'll turn the children against you um, and that sort of thing so and one of my uh, listeners is asking, can you be in an abusive relationship with your boss? Absolutely, and without a doubt, your boss can be an abuser. And if your boss is your abuser, there are lots of different things that you can do, and um, some of those include um, trying to talk to your 
boss about it, although this doesn't always work. So um, the other thing that I'd like to talk to you talk to you about this week is our guest on next week's show is a wonderful girl by the name of uh, Chantel and uh, she will be talking about um, lots of interesting concept including um, how daydreaming can be a wonderful thing for adults and um, She's also going to talk about um, ways to unfold your freedom and uh, she also wants to talk about why we're conditioned to ask for permission. Um, so next week, uh, Chantel Vanderhagen, who has a wonderful website called Unfold Your Freedom, will be joining us for the whole show and um, we will be talking to her about all sorts of interesting things. So with less than a minute to go, uh, thank you all for listening tonight. I appreciate you um, interacting with us on this radio show. Don't forget, if you want to drop me a line, I'll put my email address up and at the end of the show, I'll also put the girls' uh, website addresses up in uh, the chat conversation so that if you want to engage with either of them and, or talk further to them, they love to hear your questions um, and interactions. And that's it for me this week. I'll see you all next week on Radio Tony. Thank you. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Radio Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mom.